Federal Parliament Speaker and Senate President are investigating why a prominent anti-Chinese Communist Party activist was removed from the building's public cafe despite being invited to meetings with politicians. Basically, fake bomb threats continue to be sent out in my name by who I believe to be supporters of the Chinese government. Let's say we all accepted the idea, which there's a natural appeal to this, inflation 7%, I should be compensated for that in my wages. If that were to happen, what do you think inflation would be next year? So a lot of these debates are theoretical. If wages move too far too fast, that's not desirable. But wages not moving at all is a disaster. President Widodo has visited Qianzhou, the town hardest hit and directly above the quake's epicentre. The former Prime Minister took on five extra portfolios without the knowledge of most ministers involved. And today, an inquiry examining those decisions will be handed down. A record number of people have already cast their ballots in pre-polling before Saturday's election. Many pundits are now saying that this could end up being a minority Labor government. Your government has broken the health system. You've had eight years. You know, I intend to fix the damage you've done to it. I don't make popular decisions. But I make the right decision. The rap. Well, it's been quite a week at home and abroad. Here, the wages debate intensified as the federal government tries to push through its industrial relations reform package. And of course, it's the eve of an election. The Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews, Australia's current longest standing leader, is trying to secure a third term. But there are suggestions voters are walking away from the major parties. Joining me now to wrap the week in news is the ABC's Fran Kelly and the host of the, the TV chat show, Frankly. And of course, John Fain, former ABC Radio Melbourne presenter and political observer. Great to have you both along. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Let's start with the uh, Bell report, Fran. Uh, the former High Court Justice Virginia Bell led a three-month inquiry into the former Prime Minister Scott Morrison's secret ministries. Her report was released today, labelling the appointments as unnecessary and troubling. Let me ask you, do you think the Australian public cares? And if not, why should they care? Well, I don't think people go around sort of every day thinking about it. I think they probably cared about it when it was revealed because there was an aura of sort of mistrustfulness there and that just fed into the feeling that played out in the election campaign, which is the electorate by and large uh, didn't trust. That was one of the words that came up in focus groups. They just didn't trust Scott Morrison. So it feds, feeds into that. Well, Scott Morrison um, said no one trusts governments anyway in that uh, Perth uh, oration. So maybe he was right. Well, he did say that, but I think trust in government is a thing that moves around, and we see that in the um, some of the, the surveys that happen annually. I think it's the Scanlon th survey, isn't it, that shows trust in government went to a, a, a record high during uh, the early stages of the pandemic, and then it fell away again, and we have seen it falling away again really since the advent of 24-hour news cycle and, and social media. It's really uh, eaten away at trust, but it, I don't think it means it's something we give up on. And so for Justice Virginia Bell to find that Scott Morrison secretly square, swearing him into these extra ministries was, quote, corrosive of trust in government, really underscores the finding a few months back from the Solicitor General, Stephen Donoghue, when he found, although Scott Morrison didn't act illegally, that uh, the way he acted fundamentally undermined the principles of responsible government. So I think if you ask people generally, do you think we should uphold the principles of responsible government and do you think we should 
should try and uphold trust in government rather than corrode it. I think the population would say, yes, we should, and that's what our politicians should be doing. So do they care? No, I don't think it would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in voters' top issues. But do people want a democracy that is functioning? I think we do. And if we look to the US where, you know, we're so often a few beats behind, it was really, Joe. well, I, I understand from this distance, it was Joe Biden's pitch to uphold democracy that brought voters back to the Democrats in the midterms that didn't see them fleeing, as the polls were suggesting, because when it comes down to it, I think most of us believe that democracy is the best system going and uh, we don't want it eaten away. So, uh, John Fain, I suppose the question is, do we do we really need a three-month inquiry to tell us that we need new laws to require a public notice of all the ministerial appointments for a government that's sitting? It turns out that we do, because in the past it was relying on convention and until someone breaches a convention, we don't realise how flimsy a convention is. And it was the same with John Kerr when he sacked the Whitlam government. Conventions are only good until they're tested or breached. I can't believe Scott Morrison can still turn up to Parliament and I, don't, I can't believe that he still represents an electorate that has clearly... <laughs> All, I mean, his reputation is in tatters. His party colleagues shun and avoid him. There's a few welded-on friends who still seem to indulge him, but by and large, I mean, what's he doing? He's on a taxpayer-funded job search, and it, it's just wrong. <laughs> so do you and think... I think do you basically think that... <laughs> the public want this stuff fixed. They want it fixed. They don't want to have to even turn their minds to things that should be so evident. It's like the bonk That's ban, exactly you know? right. It's and like and Andy, I would ban. say... In relation to in the question of, you know, do we need a three-month inquiry? Well, we didn't need it. In the end, we knew we would ultimately change the rules around this and change the laws, and that's what the Albanese government will bring in. They'll um, enact the six recommendations from Justice Bell to make sure that changes in ministry are advertised, are gazetted, for instance, all that sort of stuff. But what we did need to do was work out how this happened and who was at fault here. Was it just a Prime Minister who was trying to cover things up? What about the Secretary of Prime Minister and Cabinet? What were the public servants advising? What about the Governor-General's office? So although Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Morrison didn't front up to the inquiry, his legal representatives did answer questions. But senior um, public servants like Phil Gachins, the former head of PMNC, like John Kunkel, the former uh, senior advisor in the PMO, did front up for questioning. And I think it's really important that we document and work out where things fell down here to make sure that doesn't happen again and to just put a line under what everybody's responsibilities are in this. Well, to John's point about Mr Morrison essentially just staying in Parliament, uh, you know, at taxpayers' cost, do you think Anthony Albanese will censure Mr Morrison? He says Cabinet will consider the matter further next week. I think he will. I think if, if they're certain they have the numbers to do it, I think they probably will to underline it and to probably wring out every bit of political juice from this that they can, because Anthony Albanese can't really keep this going. Um, it's, it's done now. It's spent now. People like you are saying, do we need a three-month inquiry? Um, but he might just sort of put a full stop at the end of it with that. I mean, no one can kick Morrison out of the government. It's, it's in his hand. The electors um, of, um, I've just forgotten the name of his electorate Cook, for now. Cook, Cook, yeah. Cook thank you. Um, you know, voted him in and he can stay there until the next election um, or beyond if he gets voted in again. But yeah, I don't disagree with John's description of what he's doing in there.
John, journalist and author Nikki Sava has a new book out. It details the moment uh, the then Josh Frydenberg found out about uh, Scott Morrison's secretly attained uh, portfolios. Those revelations really are the first we've heard from the former treasurer. Is this a surprise to you? No, and he's been speaking to people privately and I've had conversations with him and uh, he's he's got steam coming out of his ears and quite mm-hmm. rightly, and not just about this, but about some other things as well. And he's paid the price, a bit like Peter Costello did, he's paid the price for being loyal. Costello paid the price for being loyal to Howard and Frydenberg's paid the price for being loyal to a toxic Prime Minister in Scott Morrison. He still harbours ambitions to come back, but I'm looking forward to learning more out of Nikki Savas' book because Nikki has the inside running with so many people in the Liberal Party because she harkens back to that nostalgic time when they were respectable and middle of the road and sensible centrists. <laughs> uh, well, she really I'm does. looking forward to Nikki's book too, but I, I spoke to Josh Frydenberg at the time, as, as John and others did, and he was ropeable then. Um, he needs to work out how to play it because he does still have political ambitions, um, but he was really uh, angry and disappointed, I think, and felt betrayed by Scott Morrison when this was revealed, not happy with the sort of amends, that's the, the degree that Scott Morrison was trying to make amends, not happy with that at all. Well, I don't know if there and was also, any amends, really, according to well, Nikki Sava, you know, uh, when Frydenberg put it to Morrison uh, that you wouldn't do that again if you had your time over, reportedly, Morrison replied, yes, I would. So what does that say about Morrison's character and judgment then? Well, his judgment is terrible, and it's been ju- it's been terrible along the way through. He himself described himself as a bulldozer, and that was a bit of a bulldozer attitude, wasn't it? Yes, I would. And then he had to come back and sort of eat humble pie a little later because he knew that hadn't gone down well with his former treasurer. But he also didn't actually say sorry, and that was noted privately by Josh Frydenberg. Can we pause, though, to marvel at the beauty that all of this came to light because Scott Morrison didn't tell his colleagues, but he did tell two journalists from the Australian newspaper... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) who then sat on it until their book came out. Now, they didn't even realise that they were on the sort of scoop of the century almost. Well, maybe I'm exaggerating slightly there, but they they thought that it was, even when they published it as an extract of their own book in the newspaper, they didn't play it up. Other people picked up on how significant it was. So it tells you a whole lot of things about the interplay between politicians and the media, particularly some Murdoch insiders who didn't even understand the dynamic of what they were reporting on. And I think that deserves a little bit of attention too. Well, well, that's true, but it did take some pretty good work, follow-up work from um, yeah, yeah. Sam Maiden to work out it wasn't just the health portfolio because no, a and, lot and of people, it, I think, the, read that and thought, oh, yeah, maybe there's a reason for that. Yeah, but it opened up the dam. It opened up the dam. And, and it did. you know, that unholy relationship between that previous government and insiders in the Murdoch papers, in particular the Australian, but elsewhere in the tabloids as well. And we're seeing that in, you know, we're going to talk about the Victorian election and the relationship Indeed. of the Murdoch media to the Victorian government is equally fascinating and significant. Is that right? So yeah. let's go go there. I mean, he's arguably... Let's go there, John. (laughs) You'll be uh, heading down to the school to vote tomorrow, unless you've already voted uh, before uh, the the day, John. Uh, How is Daniel Andrews perceived in his home state? This is a very, very simple, but very, very complicated answer. Well, no, I I, I don't think it, it can be complicated, but essentially what you've got is a state needs to be run by one or the other of the two parties of government. And the Greens are significant in Victoria. It's, you know, until Brisbane surprised us all in the last federal election, Greens were the most successful territory for them was Melbourne and Victoria. Adam Bant is the member for Melbourne, for instance. But it's really just the Labor or Liberal Party that can form government and the Liberals do it in coalition with the Nats. So 
we're looking at, is it going to be the leader of the coalition or the leader of the Labor Party who's going to be the Premier? And that's what it boils down to. So it's not surprising that it's increasingly presidential the way it's being presented. Now, a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of copy has been written about the collapse in the, the primary vote of both of the major parties, and that's because it helps sell papers. It's not what matters, though. It's the two-party preferred. It's barely shifted. It's been a boring campaign. A lot of the media have been looking for something to make it more exciting and l get away from the control freakery of both of the party machines. So they've been talking up a whole lot of stuff that personally I think is not particularly important and doesn't matter. And we've got a very successful Premier who barely raises a sweat and swatting away the best efforts of some very good and some very ordinary journalists. And we've got an opposition leader who's been looking increasingly wobbly under some pressure and has shocked internal dynamics in his own conservative side of politics, including a massive insurgency from religious and Pentecostal people taking over entire branches of the Victorian Liberal Party. And it's going to boil down to who do people want running the joint, basically, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, the government... So, John, that's interesting to me, though, that... I'm sorry, Andy, but, that you know, that poll this week that showed the, the primary vote of the, co of the coalition lifting and then even Stevens, I think, at 36 points primary. I mean, of course, you're right. Governments are formed on two-party preferred. Elections are won on two-party preferred. Um, but but I, I disagree with you that I think a, a collapse in the primary votes of the major parties is not worth considering... A, and analysing, I think it is significant, and because we are used to two, you know, two-party government in this in this country, and the two major parties have had control of things for so long, and I think that if that if that diminution of their primary vote continues, then they won't be able to claim the mandates that they've been given up until this point. They just simply yes, they won't will. be able to. And well, they'll they have do. to change the way they govern eventually. Well, Al Albo, Albo claims a mandate, and yet he was elected on a very low he primary vote. He does this time, but, but he, he does, but he's got it on what, 31.4% so, yeah, or exactly. something of primary but, but, vote? He, he doesn't, no one says you don't have a mandate, so I don't Not accept yet, that Not yet, but point, if it keeps friend. going, I think it will. And and if he keeps falling, then he'll be, he, he won't have a minority government of one or two. He will be in coalition with others, and that changes the whole dynamic too, doesn't well, it? Where we are at the moment is I think that the preference flows from both the Greens and the so-called Teals, of which I don't think they're a huge factor in Victoria. Well, there's four Victorian seats that are being backed by Climate 200. I mean, we know yeah, they've done well federally, but the, do the Teals have a similar shine no, at, in the state no. level? No, federally they were they were rock stars. They became personalities. They had massive armies of volunteers and millions of dollars in donations. It's not been a factor in Victoria. They they there are chance in maybe one or two seats, but I don't see it as being huge. And I think their preferences and that's from disaffected Liberals, their preferences then will effectively flow through with Greens and I think the Andrews government will be returned to a majority on those preferences and govern in its own right. I might be wrong and you can get majority. me back on Monday and beat me up. I will. <laughs> I will. Or, or if I'm right, you can get me back and tell me what a guru I am. But um, that, that's my take on it. And a lot of the undecideds, I mean, my take on that is that you can't be undecided about Dan Andrews any more than you could have been undecided about Jeff Kennett back in his pomp. So what you're undecided about is actually the alternative. And back in Steve Brax's day, they looked at Steve Brax instead of Jeff Kennett and thought, well, you're a pretty safe pair of hands. If they're undecided about Daniel Andrews, they take a look at Matthew Guy and they don't think he's a safe pair of mm. hands. He's got tr he's got form from when he was planning minister in the last government. He's had a troubled time since he resumed the leadership of the opposition. And I think a lot of people, in particular liberals, will go back to the Andrews government and they'll say, well, I voted against my liberal instincts in the federal election and Albo's proven to be half all right. And 
you know, I'll, I'll keep going better the devil I know than the one I don't. And Fran, uh, where this intersects with federal politics, we saw Anthony Albanese going down quite late in the Victorian election. What do you think the federal implications uh, would be or could be from this Victorian state well, election? Well, I must... I must admit, and I wouldn't mind John's view on this, I, I haven't worked out why Anthony Alb Albanese was down there so little, whether that was a distancing factor or whether he's just had a lot on which he has had an enormous amount on. I mean, he was overseas for more than a week and he's got a huge amount of controversial legislation that he's trying to wrangle through. So it could just be that. Um, federal implications, well, I already mentioned that I think if the primary vote sinks again, um, then I think ultimately that is just reinforces the message from the last election, the major parties really do have a problem about engagement and they need to get better at it. You know, they need to be engaging with those communities down there that are multicultural communities, that are um, communities that are really struggling, that are struggling with racism and poverty and homelessness. And, you know, they just need to get better at doing that and not take people for granted. So that's one. Um, in terms of the Teals, I, I, from this distance, it's hard to judge, but I suspect John's right. The Teals don't seem to have the grip the same grip down there. But if there is a surprise, a la 1999, maybe not overturning the government, but, you know, electing some of those independents and forcing the Andrews government to some kind of coalition, well, then that really will, again, underscore what we saw at the last election, which is people are prepared to back independents and aren't worried about governments in coalition. They're just not worried about, you know, minority governments. So we wait and see on that. But certainly it doesn't seem as though they've got the same profile um, than some of those giant killers that, that were, you know, elected in, in May. There's another aspect to it, Andy, which is the flip side to the coin, which is Peter Dutton has not been invited yeah, and never would have been invited. He's, he's toxic in Victoria and the Liberal Party federally can't return to government without Victorian votes, hopeless, bringing back more people, more Liberals in Victoria. Now, the Coalition Party Room now, the urban Liberals are in the minority. The majority of the Coalition Party Room federally are Country Liberal Party, Country National Party and National Party members from regional Australia who outnumber urban Liberals significantly. Mm. And if the Liberal Party can't get its act together in urban Melbourne and Peter Dutton is not the, the vehicle with which to do that, he's so unpopular here, uh, they don't have a snowball's chance in hell of returning to the Treasury benches in Canberra. So that part of it's significant as well. Well, let's open up uh, these conversations more to f towards federal politics. The federal government's industrial relations reform package, they're trying to rush it in before Christmas, but the success of the omnibus secure jobs, better pay bill, of course, hinges on a couple of key crossbench senators. Why rush this? What's the political benefit here, Fran? Uh, the political benefit is to try and close down or, or keep one step ahead of a business campaign that is ramping up wildly. There's a lot of money being uh, spent on uh, advertising campaigns already and that will only get um, sort of sturdier as the weeks go by and the government doesn't want to give the business community, the mining community, the chance to really get themselves together over the summer break and bring that home to people as they did, you know, with the anti-mining tax um, or min what is it, minerals resource rent tax um, back in Kevin Rudd's day. So they're trying to stave that off and they want to get ahead of it and close this down because they judge that once it has happened, uh, it won't deliver the sort of the, the 1970s union strike chaos, that uh, IR chaos of the 70s, that won't happen and it will get in place and it will make a more efficient stream and it will ultimately help to lift wages. That 
and it will also please the unions, which is no small thing for a Labor government. So I think that's why they're trying to do it. You know, on the face of it, you'd think, well, why not split it? If they split it, they will never get the single employer bargaining stream through, probably, because, you know, there's less incentive for anyone who doesn't really support it to back it. Um, and all the other good stuff has gone through. All the gender equity stuff has gone through. Uh, some of the other stuff around enterprise bargaining has gone through. So um, I don't think they will split it. I don't think they – I think they would rather lose it than split it and see what they could do when they come back next time. But I th I th they really want this through and that's why Tony Burke is talking like mad to David Bo Pocock and others, but particularly po Senator Pocock, and, yep. you know, tweaking here and there and trying to give him as much what as they can without – wrecking their bill. That's what yeah, they want to do. What does it take? What does it take? What does it take? To him? And Pocock is, you know, he, he's not a, I don't think he's, he's a, trans, a... He's transactional. Oh, he's transactional, but I, I don't think he's a horse trader by nature. I don't think he, he likes the idea of being that. I don't think he sees himself in the in the Haradine camp in that sense or the Haradine mould in that sense. He is transactional um, and he is transactional for ACT. And, and I would say he's probably got, represents a progressive base in the ACT. So does he want to sink this legislation? Is that going to be good for him ultimately? It might no. be better for him if he's the one who champions this legislation through, has his name all over it and his fingerprints all over it, he can say he improved it rather than sink it. John, when the business lobby cranks up and with the money that's being uh, touted it's behind that apparent campaign, is it something for Labor to be worried about? Oh, I was reminded as I saw the images of Gina Reinhart and Sophie <laughs> uh, Mirabella at Donald Trump's announcement gallivanting around together, I was reminded of Gina on the back of a flatbed truck with Twiggy Forrest saying that... Is that the, the last time we saw her in a high-vis, do you think? Is that, the sky sure. was going to fall in if anything happened to her and other multi and multinational mining companies' mega profits. We've been through the biggest resources boom of living memory and they're still whinging and complaining. You know, the ordinary Australian wage earners have done it really tough. People on the public payroll, people on fixed incomes and the like, self-funded retirement with 1% returns on their funds or 2% returns, people are doing it really tough. And some of the most profitable companies in Australia, many of whom pay no tax to the Australian government through all sorts of contrivances, are whinging and whining. I reckon the government's going to say to them, bring on your campaign. We're up for it. Go on, do it, mm. do it. Go your worst, go your hardest. We'll take you on. And I would fully expect that if that's where the path they go down. Yeah, I'm not sure that they really want that. I think they really don't want that. Jim Chalmers probably has sort of a body memory of that because he was in um, Wayne Swan's Wayne office Swan's through office. all yep. of that. But I do think the country really missed a trick not having a profits tax, a mining profits tax in place all those years through these mining booms. You know, we really would be in a better situation oh. now if we'd had that line of revenue coming in and used it wisely, of course. And the other big thing going through the parliament at the moment, and I think this is even more important than the industrial relations reforms, is the Anti-Corruption Commission. It's a step yeah. change. It's like um, no-fault marriage with Gough Whitlam and the reform of the family law. Uh, it's like Medicare. It's one of those things that is there forever and changes the landscape. And the fact that this government in such short time has fixed up industrial relations, fixed up anti-corruption, fixed up relationships with China and the Pacific. I mean, people are sitting back and going, wow, you can actually do this sort of stuff. Go for it. Just get it done. Well, since you raised the NAC, uh, the National Anti-Corruption Commission, of course, passed the lower house yesterday, what aspects of the bill do you think might be the stumbling block in the Senate, Fran? 
I don't think it will stumble in the Senate. I completely agree with John. I think this is a really transformational um, piece of reform, and it is reform. Um, a lot of other stuff that happens in our parliament and has happened over the last few years has been sort of barely reform. But this is something that stays in place and will make a difference in a whole lot of ways. Um, I think it will get through because... Um, it's you know the stumbling block is the um, uh, is this oh, what's it called not special exceptional benefits, circumstances, exceptional circumstances for, pub, for public you hearings. know as the line for a public appearance yep. um, that is a problem I think it's it's too high a bar it's not ideal but the commissioner does have the capacity to make that decision so depending on who's appointed con con commissioner and assuming or accepting the truth that this will be an independent commission so it won't be influenced by government you would hope that public inquiries um, will occur, public hearings will occur as they do in ICAC and um, it, you know that won't foil that element of it because that's a critical element and all those people who have been studying this for so long um, say that that is absolutely crucial for it to work properly and for whistleblowers trust it as well because people can see it working properly. That's a really important element of this. I think it will get through. We're out of time. It's been wonderful to hear your views of the week. Good luck tomorrow, Victoria. Vote well. Can you say vote well? I suppose you can. You can say vote well, vote often, but we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Only vote once. Uh, of course, ABC's <laughs> friend. Oh, there, there's another complaint about Fran Kelly going off That's to the right. audience. That's right. Bring on the <laughs> ABC's Fran Kelly, the host of the TV <laughs> chat show, Frankly, and John Fain, former ABC Radio Melbourne presenter and author of the book Apollo and Thelma, A True Tall Tale. Have a nice weekend. Great to have you on. Thank you. Before we go, Andy, can I just remind people this is the last episode of Frankly Tonight at 8.30 on ABC TV. Beautiful. Can't wait. Uh, coming up, the Friday quiz will test your knowledge of the week with former Triple J stars Veronica Milsom and Alex Dyson. You're with Andy Park. This is RN Drive.